Family, with an emphasis on estate planning, estate administration, elder law, and real property matters. RourkeLaw.com Welcome once again to the local edition news and information keeping you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dolt. And coming up, we'll do our regular Monday news roundup with the Sullivan County Democrat. For that, we turn to Joseph Abraham of the Sullivan County Democrat getting the latest local news. That'll be in the second half of the program. We usually start off Mondays by checking in with the Sullivan County government and that's what we're going to do here. You know, Selma County uh, is actually going to be receiving $100,000 to develop a biking walking plan. And these funds are coming from the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation Climate Smart Communities Grant. Here to tell us more about the plan, it's Commissioner of Planning and Community Development for Sullivan County, Fred Eisenberg. Welcome back to Radio Catskill. Thank you, Jason. So congratulations on this grant. Um how long of a process was it to apply for the grant? Huh? What, what, what did it take to make this happen? Well, it's part of the annual, the state's annual CFA process, and there's a cycle where um, they announce the grants sometime in the spring, usually beginning of May. Um, the applications are due at the end of July, and you don't hear till the very end of the year. So we just, you know, heard this, uh, you know, a week or two ago, and we're really pleased to have it. Because it it um, you know it addresses a, a really strong need in the county. And how would you identify that need? Sure. Well, um, you know, Sullivan 180, I think would would support me in this. Um, uh, the county needs more opportunities for people to um, become active and walk and bicycle in their daily lives. You know, it's uh, there's a recommendation for people to get, you know, 10,000 steps in a day. And it's really hard to do that here um, because we don't, you know, unless you're going for a hike, um, you know, our, our communities are small. They don't have sidewalks. Um, we don't have bike lanes. Um, so this plan will take a look at um, what we can do, um, both in terms of, uh, you know, physical and capital improvements and also, you know, planning and zoning regulations to, to support a more active lifestyle in the county and um, improve county health. And, and that's kind of the direction I thought you were going to go with this. That's what I was thinking. This is coming from the DEC uh, Climate Smart Communities Grant. Yeah. So there's, there's multiple issues that this is addressing. Absolutely. I think from the state's perspective, they're looking to reduce something called, um, you know, there's an acronym, VMTs, that's vehicle miles traveled. Um, the more people can, you know, walk or bicycle to do the things that they would normally do in a day and, and not um, drive around to do that, um, there's, there's, you know, less pollution, less greenhouse gases. So that's why this is part of a climate smart community program. Um, in addition, you know, this, the state is looking to uh, make uh, or support walking and biking in, in all sorts of, of projects, and uh, it may be a condition for regular transportation funding. So, you know, in addition to, to, to helping with the active lifestyle issue, um, we'll be supporting uh, the county's DPW in, in, you know, securing and maintaining transportation funding. You know, as I think about it, one one of the things that we've got a lot of in Sullivan County is is roads. There's a lot of space uh, in this one rural county. Uh, we also have a lot of hills, 
And sometimes that can be an, an issue with, with biking. Is what you're thinking of doing to encourage people to bike more going to address uh, uh, the issue that, that it's so hilly in so many places? Well, um, you know, our the, it will certainly be an element of the plan, and there is technology that's being increasingly adopted um, that will help people overcome, you know, the, the terrain situation. Um, e-bikes are becoming increasingly popular, and even um, electric scooters, um, you know, we don't have a lot of them in the county, but I have seen them around, and um, that will be certainly, uh, you know, part, uh, considered as part of the plan. And I guess um, this is also going to involve the rail trails as well. And, and railroads, I mean, railroads have to be relatively level, whether they're old railroads or new railroads. Yes, yes. That is, you know, that is one of the um, uh, features of rail trails that make them so attractive. And it's, it's why I think the rail trail movement has, uh, you know, across the country has gotten so much, um, you know, traction because these are corridors that, you know, have already been cleared and where, um, you know, the, the terrain is, is already pretty much at a gentle grade. Um, we have some challenges uh, in building out our um, rail trail in Sullivan County, uh, but that is a, you know, it's, it's a separate initiative that we're also making uh, a lot of exciting headway on. All right, great. Uh, anything else about this grant that you want to let folks know? Um, yeah, you know, in addition to the, the active lifestyle, you know, health aspect and, and the climate, um, uh, you know, benefits, um, it will also uh, support economic development because, you know, as, as a destination, um, when people are visiting someplace, um, often, you know, walking around is part of the activity that they like to do. So making the county, um, you know, more walkable and bike friendly, I think, will, will be attractive to visitors and, and help support that uh, economically. And when people are walking and biking, they tend to spend more. Um, you know, there are a lot of studies uh, about that. So, um, you know, the, the plan will, will hit, um, you know, as, as you said earlier, really a, a number of benefits. Yeah, the more things we add to do, the the more things that we add for people to do, uh, that that are activities for them to undertake on their own, as opposed to going to one particular place to pay them to do that one thing. The more that it benefits uh, multiple businesses in the area. Exactly. Um, you know, in addition to doing the plan, which we're grateful to have funding for, we we won't actually be able to get this going until we sign the contracts with the state, probably sometime in in March. Um, we are looking to uh, support it with, you know, educating municipal town, you know, town and village uh, planning and zoning board and, and municipal board members uh, with uh, some trainings. On February 28th, we will have the Department of State doing a program on um, the relationship between, you know, or how to use uh, comprehensive planning, zoning, and, and site plan review to support bicycle and, and pedestrian friendliness, you know, in, in their communities. And we're also working with Cornell Cooperative Extension on a training that identifies funding opportunities to, uh, you know, to enact some of these improvements. Well, there's a lot of different aspects to this that uh, a lot of different ways to, to try to encourage people to get out there and do those things. And, and we need to get creative because... Uh, it's an issue that needs to be addressed. Yeah, we're really excited. Anything else from the Division of Planning and Community Development while we've uh, got you on? Anything else you want to let folks know about? Sure. Um, you know, we are at the beginning of doing a countywide resiliency plan. Um, you know, uh, biking and walking also is, is part 
part of, uh, you know, making the county resilient, but the resiliency plan is going to look at a whole bunch of other aspects. It's, it's uh, sort of like a county comprehensive plan. Um, you know, we've had a kickoff meeting. We're doing interviews with stakeholders, but we will uh, be uh, launching a website for that soon and, um, uh, you know, creating events around that that will be open to, uh, you know, really everybody um, who's interested in, in resiliency in the county. And when we get closer to that, we'll be able to spread the word, let folks know. Absolutely. And, you know, as I'm talking to you, the, the, the power of my office just went out. Phone's still on. Oh, my but, goodness. Uh, so that underscores the need for resiliency planning. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, the when the power goes out, the office of planning, you know, plans are still <laughs> going to get made. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Fred Neiserberg, uh, Commissioner for Planning and Community Development in Sullivan County. Thank you. Great to speak with you, Jason. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, uh, that's it for the first portion of the local edition. When we come back, we'll be doing our local news roundup and then maybe even some statewide news as well. We'll see what we have time for. This is Radio Catskill. You're listening to the local edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Hi, this is Laura Flanders, and you can catch The Laura Flanders Show, which I produce right here in a cabin in Sullivan County every Monday night at 7 p.m. on Radio Catskill. You'll hear interviews with social critics, artists, activists, and entrepreneurs, forward thinkers who are building tomorrow's world today. Deep conversations about change with the leading thinkers and doers of our time. That's The Laura Flanders Show, Monday night, 7 p.m., right here on Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Kit here from Something Old, Something New. I love music. Each month I select two hours of compositions that span the centuries. You might hear Palestrina or Piazzolla, Scarlatti or Stravinsky. Why not tune in and hear what I've put together for this month? That's Thursday morning at 10, right here on Radio Catskill. Welcome back to the local edition. News and information keeping you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. It's now time for our Monday weekly news roundup with the Sullivan County Democrat. And for that, we turn to Joseph Abraham, managing editor of the Sullivan County Democrat. Welcome back to the program, Joe. Hey, it's always a pleasure. So uh, we did speak a few weeks ago about the Bedroom Tax Committee. Um, so if you could, let's remind folks about what that committee is all about, and then you can give us the latest. Sure. So uh, the Bed Tax Committee is a group uh, of the legislative members who are going to be deciding the future of the county's uh, recently announced uh, Tourism Sector Enhancement Grant Program. And it's named the, uh, the Bed Tax Committee because the revenues which fund the program come from the lodging tax revenues. So uh, pretty much initially it was going to consist of the legislature's steering committee, which is the chairman, vice chair, majority, and minority leaders. So that would be Chairman Rob Doherty, Vice Chair Michael Brooks, Majority Leader Alan Sorensen, and Minority Leader Iris Steingart. Now, we, as we had talked before, this committee hasn't met yet, but there was a uh, discussion. And then, of course, Nadia Rice, sorry, is the, is the fifth member of uh, would be the fifth member of that committee. 
but as we talked about last time, there was some disputes um, in the fall over two particular members' involvement, Alan Sorensen, because he is also the planning commissioner in Orange County, um, and Iris Steingart, who is the planning committee chairperson, uh, serves as a non-voting member of the Sullivan Catskills Visitors Association Board, which itself receives uh, a bulk of the room tax revenues and might possibly be an applicant, so they decide there's something that fits within the parameter set for this eventual program that they might want to apply for. So uh, that was a big argument they had uh, in the fall. Uh, Iris Steingart um, refused to step down when Doherty had brought it, you know, said that he felt he should. Uh, Alan Sorensen did step down. Uh, because, from the committee because he felt, you know, he didn't want it to be a stain on, on the committee. So this uh, past meeting, uh, they kind of put that debate to rest because uh, legis- District 7 legislator Joe Perillo had expressed an interest in joining the committee, and um, Ira Steingart said that Joe could have his spot. So now Joe will replace Ira on this committee that will eventually meet for um, this tourism sector enhancement grant program to discuss the monies there. And then Alan Sorensen, you know, said he seeked an opinion about whether or not there'd be a conflict as Orange County Planning Commissioner uh, being on this committee as a legislator. And uh, they said there would be no conflict, but he reiterated and doubled down on not participating because uh, he just didn't want even an appearance of a conflict. So now it looks like they're fine with all the members from the legislature that will serve on this committee. And, um, you know, the chairman, Rob Doherty, said they needed to act on this because it's been a good chunk of time now, and the, uh, you know, he's weary that the state might start taking away some of that money if they don't actually you know, act on it. So, um, Because there are parameters on it. It has to be used. Uh, this bed tax money has to be used for tourism. So it can't just be used for anything you want, you know, lower taxes or anything that you know, people might wish. Uh, paving roads, um, which I know many of us this time of year wish would happen. Uh, you know, but um, so... That, that's pretty much the gist of that debate. Uh, there were a couple other things discussed. Uh, the biggest thing, too, is, is it's been no secret in this county that a big area of contention between town supervisors and the legislature has been sales tax. Currently, the legislature does not share, or the county does not share sales tax revenues with towns. Uh, many supervisors over the years have expressed the desire for that to change, that they would get those, some of those revenues. Um, and so pretty much uh, George Conklin had brought up, uh, he's the District uh, 5 legislator, he recently went to a Sullivan County Association of Supervisors meeting. They asked maybe if some of this enhancement program money could be used for um, the towns who are like now burdened with uh, having to choose whether or not to permit these short-term rentals who are coming up to their boards and whatnot uh, seeking approval. And so pretty much, you know, Iris Steingart, pretty much said that he didn't think the money should come from that uh, and uh, that, you know, the county should instead come up with an overall plan to help regulate the influx of short-term rentals and that uh, that funding should come from the general fund and that, you know, to give it, you know, to ask for tourism monies or whatnot would be mixing apples and oranges and he'd think it would be a big mistake. Chairman of the legislator, Rob Doherty, agreed with Ira, which is, you know, a rare case for those that have been, um, you know, paying attention to the legislature. Um, that, uh, you know, pretty much saying that, you know, he'd be more than happy to have the sales tax conversations with town supervisors uh, if they would explain to them when they're going to start paying for bridges and chargebacks and uh, workers' comp levies, which are just a few of the things that the county assists towns with. So that's pretty much a summary of the the bed tax uh, discussion. 
Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, since we're talking about the legislature and you're keeping an eye on what, what they're talking about there, um, well, I know another story that we've been following for the last couple of years is the Adult Care Center. I hear that it's under new management. Is this new, new management, uh, newer than when it was the whole running of the place was overhauled a couple of years ago? Yeah, so when the county a couple years ago went through the process of looking to find someone to lease uh, the care center to, a management company, uh, Infinite Care was the one selected. So they're still the ones in charge uh, through this management contract. Um, They don't have a certificate of need from the state yet. Once they do get a certificate of need, they'll be able to enter into a lease with the county. But until they secure that, you know, the management contract is pretty much all they can have. Uh, the big issue was, uh, if you guys remember listening out there, uh, that uh, the county had a dispute with Liberty over the taxable status of the care center uh, once it was moved out of the county's hands into the LDC. Uh, it eventually, the, the Liberty assessor had ruled that um, it would be taxable. So all of a sudden they started getting tax bills for it. Um, when that happened, the um, LDC asked their attorney to work with the IDA to try to stabilize the taxes, so a pilot agreement was uh, was produced that uh, the LDC and um, them entered into. So instead of, you know, this gives more stability, whereas, you know, a tax bill changes on a yearly basis depending on, you know, assessments and whatnot. Uh, the uh, pilot, you know, for this period of time kind of provides a stable amount or a number you know you're going to be paying so that you can kind of put it in your budget or whatnot. So that number they had to start paying out of this year was $350,000, and that'll increase 2% annually. Uh, Since it is coming from a nursing home, Medicaid will reimburse for the taxes. Uh, Not Medicare, sorry, Medicaid will reimburse for the taxes. But even though that's the case, um, some legislators expressed, uh, and and members of the public, uh, you know, trying to, re-go after getting tax-exempt status for this property, and some legislators felt, well, you know, even if, you know, we gave it to the LDC, if we take the property back into county hands, it'll just make it, you know, not being able to be taxed again, tax-exempt. But, you know, Josh Potosik, the county manager, cautioned them, saying, you know, when we, when the county owned it, the county also ran it. Now that a management contract is in place with a for-profit entity, an assessor could still determine that it's taxable. Uh, so pretty much uh, that's uh, sort of what legislators are considering currently. Um, you know, Chairman Rob Doherty reminded his peers that, uh, you know, they could have taken liberty to court to try to seek some resolution to the tax status of it, uh, of the care center, but the legislature opted not to do that uh, at the time. And uh, Minority Leader Iris Steingar pretty much asked if the legislature look at maybe the pros and cons of whether the property should stay with the LDC or if it should come back to the county and the county would just be the ones to have this management contract with infinite care. So that's pretty much uh, where that situation's at. A lot of public members have also, this isn't in the article for tomorrow, but something we've been covering, have been asking about reconciliations, which, you know, infinite care and and, uh, the county through the management contract uh, every quarter are supposed to be reconciled revenues, um, and um, they haven't been able to reach an agreement yet. And we're looking at about a year in already. So, uh, so that's something we'll keep watching. And um, those are the two big things that came out of legislature last week. Um, the other 
my somewhat interesting topic is, you know, me and a lot of my journalism peers have been talking about the trash situation um, mm-hmm. and how in a few years uh, Seneca Meadows Landfill, which the county exports a lot of their waste to, is going to be closing. Uh, so pretty much um, a public hearing was set for February 16th, um, which is a Thursday morning, um, that the legislature will be meeting at 10.45 a.m., so the public will be able to weigh in on kind of what this future is as a solution to the trash situation because, um, you know, Rob Doherty, chairman, had mentioned, um, you know, setting up a committee to try to find an answer, but, you know, the, the cost of exporting waste is expected to increase, and, um, you know, they want to make sure that when this landfill closes, you know, there's, New York State's not going to allow any more landfills. Most of them are going to be closing, so, if, you know, the county's got to start shipping their waste out to Virginia or Ohio or a couple states, I've heard. That's going to come with a pretty significant cost, so... Uh, definitely something that they're looking at trying to solve. But that's pretty much the happenings of uh, last week's meeting. So. Okay, and was, was there anything else? I have a note here about uh, an election coming up. Yeah, so uh, pretty much as far as elections go, uh, this November um, all nine legislators are going to be up for re-election. Yeah, it's a big one for um, the county, yeah. Yep, Alan Sorensen has already said on record that he is not running for re-election. Iris Steingart said he's undecided. Uh, the other seven have um, have stated they are going to run. And um, also there's a big DA's race. There's two Democrats, Brian Connedy and Tom Cauley. Uh, Brian Connedy is the current acting district attorney. Tom Cauley is the uh, deputy county attorney that have put their names uh, in the ring for this. Uh, and so it looks like they're on a collision course for a primary this summer. And, um, yeah, so we'll continue to watch election stuff as things get closer. Okay, yeah, we could just get a preview of what lies ahead about 10 months from now. But I'm sure we'll be talking about it a whole bunch more between now and then. Yeah, great. Well, uh, Joe Abraham, Sullivan County Democrat, thank you for our weekly news roundup. Thank you so much. Thanks, and catch up with you guys next week. This is the local edition, and yes, we have time for some news at the state level, and we've actually got a story here that follows on from some of what Joe was talking about, because a coalition of nursing homes says that if New York State doesn't increase its Medicaid reimbursement rates, the elder care facilities may have to reduce the number of beds or even shut down altogether. The rates have been stagnant for more than a decade. As NCPR's Kara Chapman reports, the coalition is calling on Governor Kathy Hochul to raise them by 20% in the next budget. According to the state's health insurance assistance program, most nursing home residents use Medicaid to pay for their care. New York State sets the reimbursement rates the facilities get paid for those residents. Stacy Canizzo with United Helpers in Canton says the state hasn't adjusted those rates for inflation since 2007. There is approximately a 42% um, inflationary factor that we have not been able to, um, to manage that because our rates have been stagnant for so long. United Helpers and a couple dozen other skilled nursing facilities say they collectively lost more than $81 million last year. Canizzo says the Medicaid rates led to those losses. United Helpers actually closed its Ogdensburg facility in 2021 due to financial difficulties. The group of nursing homes wants the governor to include a 20 percent increase to the Medicaid rates in this year's budget. They also want a process put in place to ensure the state routinely looks at and adjusts reimbursement levels. Republican Assemblyman Matt Simpson says raising the Medicaid rates for long-term care is one of his top priorities this session. He says both the rates and nursing home staffing have been at crisis levels for several years. It's a ticking time bomb right now. And if we lose these facilities, 
because we're not correctly uh, supporting them, it's going to be devastating for those that need those services. Canizzo says the stagnant Medicaid rates hinder efforts to attract and keep staff. Since nursing homes have to meet required staffing levels, lack of staff means facilities across the state are leaving beds empty. That can mean individuals are unable to access the care they need, and hospitals don't have a place to send patients who need post-acute care. Republican Assemblyman Scott Gray says there's no question the rates are overdue for an adjustment. But he says the biggest objective is to keep people in their homes and make sure they can afford to age in place. He says that'll help reduce the cost of Medicaid for long-term care. Essentially, if we can address and help and assist with aging in place and keep the Medicaid cost down, then we can pay for these adjustments that are necessary, providing we don't wait 15 years to put again. Canizzo sees raising the Medicaid rates as an issue that affects every New Yorker. She says it could be the individual themselves or a family member, friend, or someone in their community who needs long-term care. These are people that have worked and paid taxes their entire lives, and we are committed to making sure that their needs are met. But we need the help, and we need the support of the governor to make sure that we can afford to provide that care. Canizzo says she's cautiously optimistic that the rates will go up with this budget. Regardless, the coalition plans to take a long-game approach to keep the issue on people's minds. Governor Kathy Hochul's State of the State book does not specifically mention Medicaid reimbursement rates for long-term care. But, similar to Gray, the plan proposes investing in teams to provide care for low-income adults in their homes and allow them to age in place. A Hochul spokesperson said in a statement that the governor is, quote, committed to ensuring that all New Yorkers can age with dignity and independence in the community of their choosing, end quote. On whether she's considering an increase to the Medicaid rates for long-term care, he said more information would be shared when she releases her executive budget later this month. Kara Chapman, North Country Public Radio. And thanks to Kara Chapman for that report. And speaking of Governor Kathy Hochul in New York State, uh, Governor Hochul has her highest job approval and favorability ratings since taking office. That's according to a new poll that just came out today with the majority of New Yorker voters backing Hochul's 2023 goals, including making more changes to the state's controversial bail reform laws. Hochul's job approval rating is at 56%, and her favorability rating at 48% is the best score that voters have given the governor since she began the job nearly a year and a half ago. Siena College polling spokesman Steve Greenberg. Right now, voters like Kathy Hochul approve of the job that she's doing as governor more than they have in the past. The governor made gains among independent voters. They now narrowly approve of Hochul at 47 to 43 percent and people who live in the suburbs surrounding New York City, where 53 percent back her. In a poll conducted last December, Hochul received some of her lowest ratings ever. The governor took over from former Governor Andrew Cuomo when he resigned in disgrace in August of 2021. Since then, she survived a close election campaign that featured numerous negative advertisements aimed at the governor. Greenberg says now that it's been a couple of months since Election Day, the effects of those ads may be wearing off. He says Hochul also received positive media coverage for her inaugural address and State of the State speech earlier this month. The poll finds that the majority of New Yorkers like Hochul's plans to build more affordable housing, improve mental health care, and raise the minimum wage. They also back her plan to further revise the 2019 bail reform laws to give judges more discretion to set bail for those accused of serious crimes. This may surprise listeners. 61% of Republicans 
63% of independents and 68% of Democrats supported. Democrats who hold supermajorities in both houses of the legislature have been resistant to amending the bail reform laws. Republicans who are in the minority in both houses want to go further. They want to repeal bail reform and other criminal justice changes enacted in the past few years. Assembly Minority Leader Will Barclay, speaking at a news conference by Republicans at the Capitol Monday, cited the polls finding that crime rates in the state remain a major concern. He says 93 percent of New Yorkers are worried about crime, and he blames in part bail reform and the other criminal justice changes. Because of these reforms, we've compromised public safety, we've undermined law enforcement's ability to do their job, and we hamstrung judges by stripping away their ability to keep uh, imprisoned violent criminals without bail. The only one of Hochul's proposals that is not supported by New Yorkers is to raise tuition at public colleges and universities. And while Hochul's standing with the public has improved, she's less popular with some members of the New York State Legislature, who she will need to help carry out her proposals in the upcoming state budget negotiations. A disagreement between the governor and Democrats in the Senate over Hochul's nominee for New York's chief judge has soured relations. The Senate Judiciary Committee last week rejected Hochul's choice of Justice Hector LaSalle, but the governor says the entire Senate needs to vote on the nominee. She's threatened legal action to force a floor vote. The normally peace-seeking Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stork-Cousins issued a warning to Hochul and her supporters. In it, she says that the ongoing attack is a dangerous infringement of the separation of powers. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Thanks to Karen DeWitt and New York State Public Radio for that report. Thank you for listening. To the local edition, news and information that keeps you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. We'll be back again tomorrow to do it all over again. In the meantime, stay with us right here on Radio Catskill. Coming up next, it's our amazing Monday night uh, news and politics talk lineup, starting with Laura Flanders coming up next.